As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. I think there's blame on both sides. You look at you look at both sides. I think there's blame on both sides, and I have no doubt about it. And you don't have any doubt about it either. And, 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 so, Mike, uh, what a week to be releasing these diversity episodes, right? Yeah, it seems like there's just so much going on, uh, honestly, in the whole country. So, I'm actually, I think us releasing these set of episodes, I think the timing is perfect. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um, it's frustrating to, to watch, uh, but, you know, we, we've received a lot of really positive feedback from the first episode, and I 
I hope re- people really enjoy the the second one as well, where we talk more about what people are doing to change things inside of their company or in inside of the ecosystem as a whole. Yeah. And I mean, that's always what I'm interested in understanding is like, okay, yes, here's the situation, but what can we do about it? What are solutions? And I definitely don't claim to have all the answers, but we've talked to some people that have tried some things already. Some of those things are working really well. And I don't know, I'm pretty encouraged by what we were able to find. Yeah, so we've got three stories today from Stripe, from Crowdfunder, and from Arlen Hamilton at Backstage Capital. So stay tuned. We're going to get right into it. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We're your hosts, Michael Saka and Mike Belsito. At Stripe, they realized they had a problem. They realized that their pipeline for new hires wasn't diverse enough and they were losing out on this whole segment of the talent pool simply because through their hiring process, they're actually preventing underrepresented segments from getting through. Christina Cordova, who leads Stripe's partnerships team, she saw this and she took it on as a personal mission to fix it within inside the company. So about, I would say, a year and a half ago, um, you know, I was very passionate about diversity and inclusion internally at Stripe, and um, I actually got the company to launch its first um, inclusion survey. Um, so this was specifically a survey asking for um, uh, understanding the representation of various different backgrounds of employees at Stripe. Um, so uh, gender, race, ethnicity, etc. Um, and then also asking questions about um, how those employees feel um, in terms of inclusion, whether or not they feel like they belong at Stripe, whether they feel like um, they're getting resources to make them successful here. So when she saw this, she started digging into some of the data and she found that Stripe's percentage of, of underrepresented candidates was actually lower than the number of underrepresented candidates that were graduating each year from the pools that they were pulling from. So even though that it was a smaller percentage of people that were graduating, it was an even smaller percentage of people that were reaching Stripe. She's figured, let me start there. Let me start at the the recruitment process and see what I can change in that process so that I can increase that number. And so, Mike, when was the last time you've submitted a paper resume for a job? I honestly can't remember. It's probably at least like 10 years. Exactly, right? Same here. I don't know if I've ever submitted a a paper resume for a job, but this was still the first step for many of these new graduates. They would go to these job fairs and Stripe would be there and they would submit a paper resume to Stripe. And now there isn't much on that resume at this point, right? They're new college graduates. They haven't, they don't have years of work experience, but this is how they would start to filter through their new candidates. So um, ensuring that people from underrepresented backgrounds who are, you know, providing a, a paper resume are actually, um, you know, getting through to Stripe at the phone screen stage or the um, on-site interview stage at a very similar rate as those from majority backgrounds. Um, pa- this paper resume process, it was flawed from the beginning, right? One was that p- it didn't give people equal footing at that point in their life. People already had very different experiences and people that may have been very qualified, they might not come through on paper. You also have issues around their name, right? From a name, you can generally tell what their, their background is. And so this can lead to bias in hiring managers. And so when they started to remove the process, they started to change the process up. And guess what they did? 
what happened. All right. So we should offer candidates more paths than just showing us their resume um, to get into the pipeline um, for Stripe. Because especially at this the stage of the, the kind of internship program, the likelihood is is that like you know most of these candidates don't really have any work experience um, or very significant work experience, right? So how can we go back to the fundamentals of what really matters in terms of capabilities, which is, you know, the ability to code um, and uh, produce code of, of high quality and focus on that for the interview process. Um, and, you know, it ended up, you know, teaching us a lot in terms of our broader interview process as well. So they, they still did the paper resumes, but they also included actual skill testing. So they made it so that you could go to a computer at the job fair, or you could go home and work on your own computer, and you could fill out these early tests, these early coding skills, and submit them. So that that it made a new way for you to get into the pipeline. Interesting. Right? And, and so people that didn't feel comfortable walking up to someone with their resume, right? Maybe they felt intimidated and they didn't look like the other candidates. At home, they could code and and submit it, and they were judged by the quality of their code, not by the caliber of their resume. And then we were looking to monitor for bias and inconsistency throughout every step of the recruiting process. So, you know, first, um, you know, a lot of people discover a company by looking at job descriptions, um, uh, career websites, those kinds of things. So, you know, we used a text analysis tool to examine the language with our job descriptions to ensure that we were orienting them um, towards a growth mindset rather than a kind of okay, mindset. Okay, and then here is around, one that. Um, is super simple, but it made a huge difference. In their job posting themselves, they changed it from we're looking for the best to the perks of the job. So, you know, we we want to help you grow, right? We, we want to help you learn and advance in your career. That changed the type of people that applied because the people that were generally identified with, with we want the best were generally people from privileged backgrounds who had been told they're the best, right? People from underrepresented backgrounds didn't have that same confidence. They might not have been coding for as long. They, they may have had different life experiences. And, and so they were less likely to apply to a job that said, we want the best versus one that said, we want to nurture your career. That is, and even though those people actually might have been the best, it's like if you don't have right. that person telling you you're the best all the time, like maybe those from more privileged backgrounds, like you just might not have that confidence, even if you still outperform everybody else. Exactly, right. So, you know, you change kind of the verbiage in the job interview, and then you change the the test that they're able to take to prove that, that they deserve, you know, this entry-level position. And all of a sudden, you're able to get a better idea of what people can actually do. Um, and that led to a more diverse uh, internship class. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att.com. That's business.att.com. This episode is brought to you by Yahoo Finance. 
Wouldn't it be great if you could see all of your investment and retirement accounts in one place? With Yahoo Finance, you can consolidate your views with multiple accounts into one hub and access the expert analysis you need to tend to your entire portfolio with confidence. Honestly, this has been a lifesaver for me. I've used Yahoo Finance to consolidate all of my various 401k and investment accounts so I can see everything all in one place. And it makes it incredibly easy to manage. So if you're struggling with that, check out Yahoo Finance. For over 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. You can securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including your 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart a great investor. And that's how Yahoo Finance ensures that you have the insights to look at your wealth in its entirety. So go to yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. And did they, like what happened to the pool after that compared to what it was like before? Right. So they started to see differences. Um, We did a significant amount of work that actually brought us up to 41% of uh, women and underrepresented minorities in the class for 2017. That's, That's crazy. I mean, 40, all right, so usually you hear like, oh, and then- you know, it improved by 10% the next year, but that's, that's four X. Yes. In one year, she made some serious headway on this. That's awesome. So that's a, that's a good step for Stripe. It seems like. Yes. It's it's a really good step. And, but one thing that I I would want to point out is that they haven't diversified necessarily at the executive and senior management level. And there are studies, especially in schools from from when we were desegregating schools, when they started to integrate schools, they would often integrate the children, but they wouldn't integrate the teachers. And what studies found was when a white teacher had an integrated class, they were more likely to promote white children to the honors and the advanced tracks. And this would put them on track to go to college college and and go to Ivy League schools. So what this means is if we're not diversifying our executive teams and our our senior management teams, the new internship class that comes in, they may not be promoted to the next level at the same rate as their white counterparts. For all of this effort, we would hate to see that happen, right? For them to get into Stripe and then feel disenfranchised because no one on the management team necessarily looks like them. Now, I don't know if that's the case, right? But I know in a lot of these tech companies, they haven't diversified the executive and senior management teams. And that's one of the initiatives that I think comes next, right? You, you, have, to, you have to be working from both sides of the table. Yeah, well, and that, yeah, it absolutely does make sense. And you don't want to, you know, for, for as much as Stripe is making an awesome step here, you don't want it to end there, right? It's like when those interns, they graduate from the internship class, you know, you, you want, hopefully Stripe wants to keep them you know, and keep promoting them throughout. And so if you don't have that happening at the very top, um, I can understand how things could stall out. So I, this is a great first step. Hopefully, hopefully it's just the start, though, of, you know, rethinking how the entire organization should look, not just for Stripe, it's just for tech companies in general. Yeah, absolutely. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Now, back to the show. You've probably heard about the trend that some companies are taking towards salary transparency, which is this idea that everybody at the company should know everybody else's salary. And there should be more of this standard structure or calculator, however you want to think of it, 
but that salary should be something that is pretty much the same for people at specific positions, not varying so widely. Right, yeah. So for instance, if you work in customer service, you might get a baseline salary of 40,000, plus you'd earn extra for experience and time spent at the company. Right, so like no more blind negotiations, no more wage bias. Yeah, and so I, I had heard about Crowdfunder doing this, and so I, I wrote Steve McClurg, who was their president, and asked him if he'd come on and talk to us about what they did, and it, it was fascinating. I actually had the opportunity to address the issue at Crowdfunder itself, uh, where I did notice a, uh, a wage disparity when I first joined. We decided that it would be a really good idea to not only implement a program at Crowdfunder, but to start encouraging companies on our platform raising capital to also address the uh, the gender wage gap. And so, so that's something that we are we're actively encouraging, and possibly in the future could make a requirement for uh, raising capital. So, okay, let me try that again. So the first thing he did was analyze his payroll to get a real sense for the level of performance that for each individual compared to where their pay was. Um, you know, I think going into any company, um, there are people that are probably underpaid and, you know, people that are overpaid, people that have titles higher than their, you know, real experience and uh, performance and, and titles that are lower. And you can kind of imagine this, right? So there's like Bob in marketing and he's getting 95,000 a year. And Steve's like, eh, it might be a little high. And then you have Susie in sales. She's making 65,000 a year, but she's killing it. Um, and he probably wants to give her a raise, right? But how do we do this fairly? And that was that was what he wanted to take on. So was I, what did he find? Like, was it so all over the place? Was, it, was he seeing any sort of like common patterns? Yeah, so I, the common trend was that Males were earning more um, and sometimes significantly more and that females were being underpaid. What he did was he took a couple months and he he watched how everyone was working and how they were able to perform. And then he also took a look at each position and started to lay out that calculator, right? So he started to put some baseline salaries. And what he found was that women were often under the, even the baseline that he had set for that position and that there was a lot of men who were significantly over. There was different reasons why, but they were often overpaid. And in his perception, they were under delivering. So he's basically proving out what pretty much every woman has been screaming the entire time. And us guys, <laughs> we might not have gotten it through our heads. I mean, this is proof right here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And he just, he's like, look, I just took over as president. I'm going to fix this. Most of the women on the team got pay raises uh, because they were underpaid, um, you know, by the, by the standards that we were um, putting forward. Um, but the pushback mostly came from men on the team that either got salary reductions or um, um, or did not get raises because they felt like they deserved raises too. Um, so it, it, it was pretty, you know, evenly split. About 50% didn't care, 25% were very happy, and 25% uh, were a little disappointed. And so what, I mean, once they instituted this, now there's the salary transparency how have things been for them? I, did he talk about that at all? Not only did the team's attitude improve, right? And and kind of the, the culture improve in the company, word got out that they were one of the companies in LA who paid women fairly. So now when they put out job postings, they get a disproportionate amount of female uh, applicants. 
And this is because people are very excited to work there. And sure. this blew him away. And and so now their engineering team, which engineering teams are notoriously just male, it's 60% female right now. That That's incredible. Yeah. And so what he found was because they're getting more diverse candidates, they're getting better candidates. And he has a better hiring pool to pull from. It's not just white males, right? He's getting um, he's getting underrepresented candidates, he's getting women, and they're all coming him because they're excited to work there because they know they're, they're going to get fair pay and they're not going to have to negotiate um, hard for the salary that they deserve. Look, uh, and this is going to be a little bit more anecdotal, but uh, there were two, two women on the team very specifically that when they got raises, they were pretty significant. Um, and and to get them you know level to you know where their true experience performance was, and and the comments from 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 these two women was, look, if you think I worked hard before, you know I really appreciate this, and I'm gonna you know do everything I can for you, right? But we had also garnered a reputation in the uh, LA tech market that uh, you know we we pay women equally to men. And, and what that did was, you know, I'm, I'm never a big proponent of just going out and, and hiring somebody because they are a woman or they are a person of color. But I do believe in casting the net very widely and hiring the best possible person. But what that enabled us to do was cast a very wide net. And uh, we had a lot of applicants that came in when we had open positions that were female. So um, casting a, a, a wider net allowed us to uh, build a, a, a great diversified team. We'll be right back with our story about Arlen Hamilton and the Backstage Capital team right after a quick word from our sponsors. So finally, we talked to Arlen Hamilton, one of the most unlikely venture capitalists out around today. She took the initiative to bring venture capital to underrepresented founders who traditionally have had trouble raising money from established institutions. But there was one problem when she set out to do this. She didn't have enough money to be a, a VC on her own. And she had no experience working in venture capital. My past work has included uh, publishing a print magazine, um, working on tour f- with everyone from, you know, garage band from Norway to, uh, you know, Tony Braxton, Jason Derulo um, in stadiums. So that's um, kind of, you know, a, a tiny part of my background. I also, for a long time, a few years, ran a, a website called Your Daily Lesbian Moment, which was uh, 50,000 uh, women and uh, I say gay women and gay adjacent women um, would uh, would read it every month. And it was just um, it was kind of uh, my main gig for a few years and really loved it. And then, um, okay. So how did she get past that and actually get her start? I thought you might ask, right? So in 2012, she became fascinated with startup culture and she saw some of the celebrities that she was working with and their managers, they were, they were even investing in startups. And she was like, why are they investing in these three to four person companies? And she began researching it. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So what did she, as she was researching that, what did she find? Yeah, so 
What she found was it was really hard for people of color and women to raise money. And when I started reaching out to companies and, and investors and getting into the mix of things, just remotely working with different companies to connect them, I started noticing really, really quickly that um, there was a disparity in the funding. And at the same time, there was a lot of um, writings and articles that were being done starting around that same time, like 2013 is when I started seeing a lot of these articles about uh, a conscious, unconscious bias. And she, she found that like 8% of funding goes to women and people of color. And this was her whole, like she ran a lesbian blog, right? She's a black woman. This was, this was her identity here. And I think it really moved her, right? That like someone needs to fix this and maybe it's just going to be me. That's awesome. And, and that is such the entrepreneurial mindset, right? It's like some people might see that kind of data and be like, all right, well, I guess this isn't going to work out because, you know, the odds would be against me. But obviously, that's not what Arlen did. Obviously, Arlen went on to bigger things. So, I, so I'm curious how it all happened. Yeah, so she hit the road and she found essentially all the, the venture capitalists that would listen to her and she she brought them her case, right? So she said, I want to start a fund. I want to invest in underrepresented minorities. I want to invest in women. That's all I'm going to do, right? So any money that you invest in me, th this is where I'm putting it. Like this. So a lot of times the, found, the um, investors in our fund, if you look at the list, it's not so much me convincing them of something. It's that they already had figured this, this out and, and said that perhaps they weren't the best person to go out and try to do this brick, brick by brick. But if they could back someone else who was already doing it, then that could be their their resistance and their, you know. Um, she found a lot of uh, women VCs. Uh, became her initial LPs. And then she brought in some some heavy hitters like uh, Chris Saka and Anderson Horowitz. You know, people like Mark Andreessen and Chris Saka um, who are billionaires who they're going to be okay, right? I think that they're, I think they're just really smart when they look at it like, okay. So these are, you know, some of the people you're mentioning, I mean, Mark Andreessen, Chris Saka, like they pretty much can invest in whatever they want to invest in. There are these like celebrity investors now at this point. Why why did they feel like they wanted to invest in Arlen? Like why why her? Yeah, so I, I think it was that they understood the problem, right? So they understood that yeah, they could probably get a deal with anyone. Um, but not everyone was showing up in their pipeline. Be just like hiring at Facebook, right? Or or Stripe their pipeline was had bias in it too. And so to get to Mark Andreessen, you need to go through his people. And so his people have the same biases that a hiring manager at Facebook has. And so he found that I'm not gonna be in the same room as Arlen is gonna be in. Arlen's gonna be able to get in rooms that I am not gonna end up in. And so by putting my money with her, I can make the same bet as investing in minorities or, or women founded companies, but she's gonna do it better than me because she's gonna have access to more people. And so that's what really excited them about her. Yeah, so it sounds like, I mean, this isn't something that is completely altruistic. It sounds like they're realizing this is good for business. It's like if we can invest in other people as a fund, that are going to go out and find entrepreneurs that we might not be able to find, they could get in on these deals that they can't get in on. So this is like a good business move for them, it sounds yeah. like. Yeah. 
it's good in that it's the right thing to do, right? Like someone needs to do this and they, they saw like, yeah, she's the one to do it. But yeah, no, it makes business sense too. She's like, she says, like she's not in, in venture capital to hand out checks, right? She's only going to invest in the top 3% of the people that come through her door. And she's, she's just as picky because she's spending other people's money. But with that, she's, she's still on a mission to bring funding to people who aren't going to make it into Mark Andreessen's pipeline today. I'm going to, you know, I'm a, a harsh critic. Um, I am very, my standards are super high because I'm investing other people's money. This isn't a charity. This isn't my angel money. So I have to say, are you the three, are part of the 3% that gets invested in? So it's not just like uh, all kumbayaing and, um, you know, handholding, but it's, it's at least takes away a few things that they would in other cases perhaps have to think about. And that's why there just needs to be more women with the ability to write checks at, at funds in general. It's not just me. I, mean, I don't have any secret sauce. You know, it, it needs to be just a better reflection of what's truly out there. And I think the, the better that gets, you know, over time, the, the, the better investment choices will be made and it'll, it'll trickle down. And so Arlen just emailed us this article in Forbes where they announced that they just invested in their 50th company. And guess what percentage is led by a white male? Well, if it's like most funds, it would be like overwhelming. It'd be like 80%. But I feel like that's not the case here. (laughs) No, right? So just 2% of the companies or literally one out of the 50 is led by, by a white male. So we have covered a lot over these past two episodes, at least I I hope we have. The part that I I find inspiring is that there are ideas coming to the table and then there's there's actually data supporting the fact that we're moving in the right direction when when we try to, right? Yeah, I you know, I know for for me personally, I was I was excited about this, um, you know, these this two part series that we were doing. Because first, I think it's a topic that we all should be talking about. And sometimes, again, as a white man, you know, there might not be a lot of white males talking about this this topic. But the other thing is there are solutions to this, right? So a lot of the interviews that we conducted with folks, I mean, we're hearing about companies trying different things. They're realizing that they have a problem. They're realizing that maybe the things that they've been doing you know, aren't working. They're not leading to results that they're happy with when it comes to diversity and inclusion, but they're trying different things. And some of those things are actually working. And I don't know, maybe other companies can start to take notice of this. Yeah. And maybe those 50 companies that Arlen invested in, maybe they can be the next generation. Uh, if if I'm going to bet on anybody making that difference, uh, Arlen and her team, I would place a bet there for sure. Yeah. Yeah. so much for listening to rocketship.fm it's your support that keeps the show going rocketship.fm is now part of the podglomerate network if you want to learn more about the other shows on the podglomerate network go to thepodglomerate.com rocketship.fm is produced in partnership with product collective a community for product people if you go to productcollective.com you could check out live video interviews sign up for our newsletter be a part of our slack group with over 6,000 product people just check it out at productcollective.com <laughs>